8.02 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. Nick Shook from NFL.com is going to join us momentarily here to kick off hour three. A NFL talk on a Thursday. Hour three of this program is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech, that's who. The Swedes were tied 2-2 with Czechia in the third period of their World Junior semifinal. But then along came who else? Jonathan Lekaramaki. Another goal for the Canucks prospect. Uh, early in the third period, he put the Swedes up 3-2. There are now nine minutes and 40 seconds left in the third period as the Swedes look to advance to the gold medal game at home in the Worlds. And what a tournament for Jonathan Lekaramaki. He's playing extremely well for Sweden on the big stage. I bet our, get, our next guest, Nick Shook, is super excited about uh, Jonathan Lekaramaki and what the Swedes are doing at this tournament. One of the more questionable intros I've ever put together on the Halford and Ruff show. <laughs> Leading into NFL talk with World Junior Hockey Talk. But what the hell? It's our show. We can drive it into the ground if we want. Uh, joining us now, Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford and Ruff show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Nick. How are you? Good. Uh, I, I think you guys are correct. I, I don't know what's going on there at all. <laughs> uh, that's perfect. You know what? I'm not even going to try and explain it because it genuinely doesn't matter because... I mean, the, I, I like hockey. Don't get me wrong, but junior the, worlds, no, the, not the, my lane. This is pretty niche. I'm not going to lie. And we are following it way too closely. But hey, that's what we do. Okay. Uh, I do want to talk a lot about the NFL because we are going into the final week of the regular season. There's a million things and a million storylines at play. A lot that still needs to be decided, uh, including whatever becomes of the NFC playoff picture. It's going to be largely defined by what the Packers and Bears do to a lesser degree, what the Seahawks do. But let's look at this Packers and Bears game because there's so many different storylines going into it. You get the Packers, you know, wanting to get into the playoffs. You got the Bears looking to play spoiler against their longtime rival. Jordan Love has like millions of dollars on the line if they make the playoffs. And then there's the future of Justin Fields. And maybe this is his last game in Chicago. So break it down for the listeners here, Nick. Bears, Packers, what do you expect to see happen on Sunday? I mean, it, it seems like on paper, like, well, the Packers have been playing good ball and, and Jordan Love's. You know, he's a man who's playing confident ball right now so much that he's willing to dive over a defender for a touchdown and risk possession and everything, and it all works out for them. Like, everything's going pretty well for the Packers right now, save for when Jair Alexander gets called to, well, decides to make a cameo appearance at midfield for a coin toss. Um, and, and yet the Bears quietly have been playing very good ball too. Uh, you know, Justin Fields is kind of following through on what most people expected from him when the season began. Um they seem to work out a good amount of their offensive issues. They've had a few runaway wins, including one over the Lions a few weeks ago. Uh, they're a fun team to watch, finally. Matt Eberflus might save his job, and if he beats the Packers and, and ruins their playoff hopes, I think he's got a decent shot of doing that. I, I, I Personally, I think that you know everything with the, with the Bears revolves around Justin Fields and how so many people expect him to be gone. I feel like he's done enough in the last month to – to basically silence the doubters and give the bears every reason in the world to run it back with him. You know, it's almost like, Hey, we just needed to figure out a few things and get a little more comfortable roster wise with our young guys and everything else. And 
they're at this point now where if they finish strong, I think you can make a really strong case for keeping everything status quo and hoping that, you know, they finally turn the corner. Now, that's been a fruitless operation in the past. If you look back to Eric Mangini Browns, who won four games to finish his season, saved him his job, and then they were terrible the next year. So it's not always a, a proven formula, but uh, there is actually a lot on the line for the Bears. Uh, it, surprisingly, more than just upsetting a rival's playoff hopes, it's going to be fun. Um, watching Jordan Love play quarterback has been as fun as watching Justin Fields play quarterback recently. Uh, it's one of the games I'm looking forward to when we do, you know, QB index and everything else. Uh, there's been a lot of games that I have not looked forward to as of late because of the way this season has gone with quarterbacks and everything else. But this is one I'm certainly uh, cannot wait to watch with a lot on the line. Um, you know, the Packers, they're a team that took a while to figure it out. They're a young, they're the youngest roster in the NFL. And, uh, and they're exciting because it's like a group that is also just now figuring it out. Uh, Matt LaFleur has been, you know, under fire somewhat because, you know, he didn't have Aaron Rodgers and maybe, you know, kind of like the Belichick and, uh, and Brady thing. Maybe Aaron Rodgers was the reason LaFleur was such a good coach when he was young. Well, these young guys are starting to figure it out. And, um, and potentially we could see, you know, the start of a beautiful new era in Green Bay because Jordan Love has done some crazy things right now. But uh, it's going to be one that's really fun to watch. It's going to bring meaning to this rivalry for the first time in a long time, probably since the days of Jay Cutler and, you know, a trip to, you know, the playoffs or the NFC Championship game, whatever it is on the line. Uh, it's probably the first time that it's been that important since then. So I'm looking forward to it. The decision that the Bears have to make is truly fascinating. Like, can you imagine if they go, okay, we've seen enough from Justin Fields to say he's our guy, so we're going to trade the first overall pick and we're going to – we're going to load up on in other areas of the game um, or of, of the roster. And then Caleb Williams turns into like an unbelievable quarterback. Like that's, that's the risk that, that they would be taking. What do you think they will do? Well, here's the thing. I, you know, the, the, it's the, what you don't know is often the most dangerous because it's the most tempting in situations like this. You know, what if, what if so-and-so becomes awesome and we missed out on him at the same time, so-and-so could be terrible. The, the, the problems with the bears that have led them to this point with fields have been organizational. It hasn't been fields. Yeah. He hangs on the ball too long sometimes and all that, but give him some time to throw, you know, give him some protection, give him some receivers who can get open. It seems like they've finally started to unlock their offense. DJ Moore being a big part of that. Um, and, and frankly, I think it would be short-sighted to give up on that just to go after the hot new quarterback prospect. Not to mention the fact that, you know, Caleb Williams is a great prospect, but he also didn't have a great last year at USC. No, now, I you didn't. can say he was no. injured, he had a hand issue, and, and they just weren't a good team. They couldn't tackle defensively to save their lives, which obviously has nothing to do with him. But um, I don't think it's as much of a slam dunk as people probably thought when the season began. And giving up a guy like Fields with so much potential – to start over with a rookie who's going to run into a lot of the same issues that Fields did, you know, it just seems short-sighted. I, and now look, you could call this Ohio State bias because I, you know, live in Ohio, I grew up in Ohio, I'm, I grew up an Ohio State fan, and I loved watching Justin Fields play for the Buckeyes. But this is about more than that. I think he's just very talented. I think he'd be a fool to to give up on that talent just because you know you have the top pick and and you're in a position where you could take a quarterback. Because I mean, we've seen it so many times where teams have mortgaged their future or giving up on somebody with a lot of potential just because, oh, this guy's coming up in the draft. Now, sometimes that pans out. You know, Cam Newton, better choice than Jimmy Clausen in Carolina. We all know that. But <laughs> those are different types of prospects. I just think that, um, look, it, what's, one of two things is going to happen. The Bears are going to go with a guy like Williams, 
or and they're going to let Fields walk, and Fields is going to go to a place like Atlanta and thrive. Or they're going to stick with Fields, and you know maybe they'll be happy about it, and continue to surround him with talent. Uh, that's probably the most important thing to any quarterback is situation and surrounding a guy with talent. And uh, I think you have a unique opportunity to add some top-tier blue-chip talent that isn't quarterback. It's the most important position in, in sports, but it's also the hardest position to step in and find success right away. And I don't think that uh, the years that you spent with Justin Fields should just be wasted because, hey, there's a, there's, a new, there's a new Ferrari waiting for us. Let's go check it out. Oh, we forgot we already have a Maserati or a Lamborghini. Like, let's not look past what's already on the roster just because of the shiny new toy. Uh, speaking of QB prospects, did you happen to watch Michael Penix Jr.'s performance in the Sugar Bowl? Did I? Man, that guy had a hell of a game. Uh, that, I, look, I love Penix's journey, you know, coming from Indiana and then going to Washington. Being in the Heisman race as a finalist, probably would have won it if he hadn't had a few clunkers after they beat Oregon. Yeah. Um, I, I look at Washington right now as the most complete team in college football. Again, you could say I'm, I'm a little biased as an Ohio State fan, probably you know, <laughs> going against Michigan because Michigan's a heck of a team, too, with a lot of experience. But, um, I, I mean, Michael Penix has had a heck of a year. He's finishing strong. They've got great receivers. They're just a well-coached team that's strong on both sides of the ball. I don't want to look forward to what's going to happen to them next year because I think that they're going to lose a lot. But, man, talk about a great way to end a career. And he was tossing all over the yard against Texas and made it look like Swiss cheese. I mean, I, every time I looked up, I'm like, how does Washington have the ball again? And they're about to score again. What's going on here? And then, you know, some of the throws that he made, he, he threw a dime of a touchdown pass in the second half. I think it was to make it a two-score game where I was just like, wow. Like, I mean, look, he's talented, very talented, and should go pretty high in the draft. But sometimes you just, you just sit back and you think, man, you just have to marvel at it. You just have to marvel at the talent of a guy, especially a guy, this kid was at Indiana. He held his own against Ohio State, another Big Ten competition when he was there. Uh, but now, I mean, this the national stage, what a story. What a story it could be if they end up pulling this off. Do you think his injury history is going to hurt his draft stock? Um, a little bit because of the style he plays with. But I think that his arm talent and what he's shown – this season should probably outweigh that. Um, they'll consider all things, but I mean, the resume speaks for itself. I think, you know, this is, if it wasn't for Jaden Daniels throwing up stupid numbers at LSU, Penix probably wins the Heisman. And, um, and it's just another accolade that goes on that resume. The tape doesn't lie. Uh, and it, it, everybody gets hurt. I mean, mm-hmm. to some degree more than others, but I wouldn't keep that from, I wouldn't allow that to dissuade me from taking a guy with, immense talent like Penix. Uh, what do you think Bryce Young is thinking about the team that drafted him right now? Boy, I wish we were in a better situation. <laughs> uh, this is a, it's a team with a revolving door of an offensive line, turnstiles kind of. Uh, the tackle picks have not panned out. Um, you see that in the running game. Uh, the receiving group, pretty poor. Adam Zeeland's your best option, and Adam Zeeland is no spring chicken. Um, it, it's it's been tough to watch because they have put together some games where you're like, oh, there's the potential. I see it. I see it now. I see why they moved up to take him because I don't think it's all been on Bryce. I also felt, you know, and I'm I'm gonna be, a, you know, this is hindsight situation here, but I felt like C.J. Stroud was probably the more pro-ready quarterback, maybe the lower ceiling than Bryce Young, but I think Bryce has dealt with a lot of struggles that have been partially foreseeable. Uh, again, I think situation just matters so much. And guys like Bryce Young tend to suffer for it when, you know, they're not in the best situation. So I hope they get it fixed. You know, in that game against they played the Packers, I was just I was really excited to see things work for them and him allowed to show off some of his talent, whether it's with, you know, his mobility or his arm. Um, but 
it, they're they're a long way away right now, and and I'm worried about the direction that they go in just because they've swung and missed on coaching hires. And you know, it takes owners a while to let figure it out. The Haslam's would be the first ones to tell you that in Cleveland. Uh, I mean, they told me that directly, and it, it's just it's not easy. It's not something that you just throw money at and fix. And that's often what people who are billionaires tend to come to is that, all right, well, I, I can fix this with money. Um, the Panthers are not a situation that you can just fix with money because of the salary cap and everything else. they got to draft well. Uh, I think it's a big offseason, uh, a proving ground for Scott Fitter, the GM, and uh, you know, a pivotal moment for this franchise because you've got your franchise quarterback. You don't want to ruin him. And there's been times this season where I've sat back and thought, oh, God, are they ruining him? They're, they're mm-hmm. getting pretty close to it. So. Hopefully they make the right moves in the offseason because right now it's not looking good. For whoever the next head coach is, legitimate question, how desirable or undesirable is is that job right now? Well, when you compare it to some of the other jobs that may come open or that are already open, um, it doesn't rank too highly. Yeah, I think it's, it's a matter of you need a lot of improvements in the offensive side when it comes to personnel. And I also think the culture that exists in that franchise right now based on the fact that they've gone through two head coaches in less than a year – um, that doesn't bode well for the next guy. Um, and I also think it's a weird coaching market. There's not a lot of like premier candidates that are out there right now. And it kind of reminds me of what used to exist in Cleveland, um, where, you know, coaches that were top tier hires, sometimes they take themselves out of the running because they just didn't want to enter that building and, and the culture that was there at that time. And, and when you look at that, you think, okay, Let's get a football czar in here. Somebody with experience who can come in and fix things. That's what the Browns did with Mike Holmgren, and that was a disaster. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's been stories of him putting in minimal effort and everything else. So you don't want to find yourself in that situation either. So um, I think it's a matter of finding the right fit with the owner. Um, but I think it's a bit of a unique situation just because you do have still relatively new ownership and somebody who expects results. And the NFL, while it's a results-driven league, it doesn't happen overnight most times unless you find a great pairing of coach and quarterback and culture and I mean you look at Houston that's kind of what they've done this year they've yep. struck gold with the decisions they made but they had to run through a few different situations before they got there I mean they had two one-year head coaches before they got there so it doesn't happen overnight you gotta find the right fit and I think this is gonna be a tougher fit to uh, find than the average opening speaking of Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650 uh, AJ Brown said that the Eagles issues are not with the coaches, as we are on the coaching topic right now. Uh, several pundits and fans would disagree with that assessment. Nick, where do you stand on this? Well, uh, if there's a coach that deserves to be in the crosshairs, it's it's whoever's running the defense, whether it's Matt Patricia or Sean yeah. Desai. Yeah. It's just not working. The personnel is too good for the way that they perform. I mean, the way that the Cardinals went right through that defense with the game on the line last weekend was was shocking to watch live. Uh, disappointing if you're an Eagles fan. Disheartening if you think that they can make a run of the Super Bowl. This is a team that hasn't put together a complete game on both sides of the ball all year. The offense kind of did their job. Um, I mean, Teddy Brown had the pick six that gave them an early lead, but I mean, if you look at the game, they had eight possessions, and they produced points on most of them. It was one of those games where you almost had to score every possession to have a shot. You had to be perfect, and they you know, had a three and out and, and had to settle for a field goal, and that kind of cost them. But in most games, you usually win if you can depend on your defense, and they haven't been able to. So while the focus is on A.J. Brown because he didn't talk to the media until yesterday, I don't think he's the problem. I don't think it's necessarily even an, an offensive issue. Jalen Hurts has been banged up, and he's been playing through that, and, and they've had to figure things out. But I think, you know, if I had if it comes down to it, I trust their offense to make plays. They'll move the ball unless they're playing the lead defense. I think they're going to move the ball relatively easily. But can they get the same help from the other side, you know, from the defensive side? That's going to be the big 
issue with them. So, you know, Brown said he, he didn't talk because he was in a bad, you know, frame of mind and didn't want to pile on. And he'd already come to the conclusion that, look, we're not good enough. we got to be better. And he's negative. And he didn't want to bring any more negative light. And, of course, that then directed the attention to his teammates who had to answer for him, which he apologized for. Hmm. And that's all fine and good. Um, and he said that, you know, they feel like they're going to pull through, that because the people in the locker room, they're going to pull through. But the people in the locker room on the defensive side need to figure it out. And I think more of the coach's office than the locker room itself, uh, they've already made one change in who's calling the defense. You kind of can't make a second change. It's desperate times for them. So they got to hope that they can figure it out. The problem is, is like, it's week 18. Like, this is not something that you – know, this can happen in week nine. You're like, yeah, we'll figure yeah. it out. And you get on a hot streak, you go on the playoffs, you go on a run. Not in week 18. So um, I'm, I'm concerned about – I don't have a lot of hopes for them. Despite all the talent they have on their roster, it seems like an issue with defensive scheme and execution – I, I don't put a lot of that blame on Nick Sirianni in the offense. I think that if it came down to it, they'd be fine. It's just that they can't trust their defense to make a play for them right now. Speaking of teams that go on a run late, although they've been on a run pretty much all season, but what the Baltimore Ravens have done over the last three weeks, right? They go to Jacksonville, which is going to be a playoff team, and lay the boots to them, 23-7. to Then they go to San Francisco and win 33-19. to Then... They host Miami and beat them 56-19. to I'm trying to think of a better team that has put together this kind of performance late in the season to kind of say, hey, we are the team to beat. Get out of our way. Uh, we'll see you in the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's um, it was a weird season. So, like, even Lamar Jackson, the MVP race, right? Like, yeah. Everybody's talking about, oh, he's the surefire MVP. It's recency bias because as somebody who's watched every game of his and every snap, he has certainly not had an MVP season, you know, front to back. But oftentimes that's not how these things go. It's really about how you finish. He finished on an absolute hot streak. Uh, their offense is reaching its full form uh, under Todd Munkin. The the stuff that we heard about in the offseason that, that you know he had the keys to the offense and they were going to open it up and everything else. It's we're starting to finally see that. And Lamar is the engine that drives that with his unique blend of, you know, athleticism, mobility, and, and ability to throw the football down the field. What, what's kind of stood out to me the most is they lost Mark Andrews, and they haven't missed him very much because of the contributions of Isaiah Likely and the yeah. way this offense has schemed guys open. Um, I'm not going to say they're an unstoppable force. I think if they run into a quality defense, they're going to run into some issues. But the way that they've played in the last couple of weeks, um, it, it's hard to argue against it. You could look at the Jacksonville win and think, nah, you know, Jacksonville's in the, in the midst of a – Kind of a meltdown, to be honest with you. Uh, they lucked out and got the Panthers last week, but otherwise I think they would have continued their losing streak had they played a quality opponent. Um, I go back to the Rams game as where I think the Ravens really are. The Rams are a good football team. They are playing above their level of talent collectively, and a lot of that has to do with Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford and, and what they've been able to do with that offense. But that game went into overtime. They needed a punt return touchdown to win it. That was a what I – interpreted as like what a playoff game would look like in Baltimore, not the Miami game. And the, the reason that the Miami game got out of hand is because Miami has one way to win. They have to put points in the bar. They have to put, you know, big yards totals up and they have to produce points at the end of those drives. And what happened was those promising drives went from being touchdowns to ending in field goals. Then they started to turn the ball over. They started to press. They turned the ball over again. Baltimore, of course, capitalized on those turnovers. And that's how you got such a wide margin of victory. If they played that game again, I don't think you get such a wide difference in the final score. And it's more competitive. But again, I don't think Miami is necessarily an elite team in the AFC. I think they're a team with a good offense and a defense. that's probably going to struggle more often than not, even with the playmakers they have on that side of the ball. So, 
if we wrap this all the way back around to how we analyze Baltimore, it's about who you've played recently. And the win over San Francisco is the one that matters the most to me because they went into San Francisco, a place that's pretty hard to win, especially in prime time. They weathered an early blow from the Niners and they forced turnover after turnover after turnover. So while we could talk about Lamar Jackson, this offense all day, it comes down to their defense, which is playing damn good football over the last three weeks. And they've become an opportunistic group that's playing above what it looks like on paper right now. Um, a lot of that has to do with Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator, and the way that he creates some exotic looks and, and confuses younger quarterbacks. He did it to Brock Birdie. He did it to Tua Bailoa. He did it to Trevor Lawrence. He didn't really do it to Matt Stafford because he had the mm. experience. We're obviously not going to get an example of that against the Steelers. They're going to get the bye week in the you know, first round of the playoffs. But eventually they're going to run into some defenses or some uh, some opponents that have you know more experienced quarterbacks. And that's when we're really going to find out just how good this team is. If you look at them over the season, I mean, 13-3, and three, it's hard to argue with that result. Uh, there were some peculiar losses, the overtime loss to Indianapolis, the, the loss to the Browns, which they blew a two-touchdown lead, and the meltdown in Pittsburgh. But all that happened week 10 or earlier. So it's hard to argue with the results right now. But the playoffs, again, that's where we really find out. And it kind of gives me some feeling that, you know, when they went 14-2 and two in 2019 and lost in the playoffs that year. Can they get over the hump? That's what we'll have to find out right now. But, they are looking really good right now. Nick, thanks for taking the time to join us. Uh, can you believe it? Jonathan Lekaramaki has scored again for Sweden. I know you'll be thinking about this all day as the Swedes are headed to the gold medal game against uh, probably the Americans. So I'm sure you'll be dialed into that. You'll probably you'll probably skip all the NFL games this weekend to watch Wake that up stuff. early to watch it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, there's no better way to prepare for a future trip to Sweden than by watching the junior worlds and the finals against the Americans. You know, that's, that's, look, man, I, right next to the, the, the TripAdvisor printout is going to be the, the hockey roster, and we're going to go back and watch the highlights, and that's how I'm going to prepare for it right there. Well, well, good luck against the Finns later today, uh, Nick. I'm sure you'll be watching. Thanks. Seriously, hey, thanks for joining us. I've been there. I've have been you? There. Great country. Yes, I have. Um, enjoy the games. It's going to be awesome. Uh, appreciate your insight every time we chat with you. Take care, Nick. Thanks, hey, Nick. thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks. Uh, Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. As Jason Bruff alluded to, uh, the Swedes are on their way to the gold medal final, and we finally got our first official complaint for giving World Junior updates live on the air, ruining it for this gentleman, or I don't know, actually, you know, it just says Lotso. Mm. Lotso. I don't know. Goes, there's a good there's a good insult in here. Thanks for the World Juniors update, Dingledorf. Ooh. Well, is Ding, that, Dingledorf, is, I'll, is that a uh is one of your fantasy shows, Dingledorf? <laughs> a Dingledorf noise. Uh, it sounds like it should be, but I have no idea rings what that's, or the rings of power or whatever. You know, I have no idea that? what that's referencing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, as for ruining Dingledorf's morning here. Sounds like a Harry Potter thing. I guess we're the Dingledorf. Dingledorf mm-hmm. I. Uh, Sweden is on their way to the gold medal final at home. A 5-2 victory over the Czechs. Now, I'll say, what a performance from Lekaramaki. Uh Going into a game in which was tied in the going into the third period uh, in front of a very partisan Swedish crowd, uh, Lekaramaki and his linemate Noah Osland, who, by the way, they were drafted right after one another mm-hmm. in that draft. Lekaramaki went 15 to the Canucks, obviously. Oslin went 16 to the Sabres, and they've been a dynamic force in this tournament. So they both had a goal and an assist in the third period. Lekaramaki gets the player of the game. He finishes with two goals. He is very much in line to win most valuable player of this tournament. I know the Americans have kind of been a buzzsaw 
and Cutter Goche has the stats right now, but the Americans aren't in the final yet. They have a tricky proposition on the horizon with Finland, and they're going to need to get there for him to, you know, win this. But, like, Lekromaki right now is picking up all kinds of hardware. Yeah. He's the guy after the game that has to keep putting it on his equipment because he's going up and getting all the awards. He's got a brand new Tissot watch. Looks there. like he nearly slipped on the red carpet there. That would be a very Canuck injury. He's down. <laughs> be careful, Jonathan. Anyway, this is great. You know what? For a tournament that's been largely underwhelming from a Canadian perspective because of how disappointing their quarterfinal loss was for Canucks fans, this is awesome. And to see Lekromaki do this on this big of a stage is awesome as well. Speaking of awesome, what we learned are coming up. Andy's got an awesome what we learned. There's the hype. There's the tease. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Big Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. 8.34 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, we are in Hour 3 of the program. It is what we learn time. Hour 3 is brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com. Laddie is staring up. Are you looking glazingly, longingly at uh, Sheldon Keith? Is that <laughs> what the you ticker. Oh, you're looking at the ticker. Okay. Uh, okay, so we mentioned... I'm not. Do, is, I'm going to do the spoiler thing. Uh, Sweden is on its way to the gold medal final at the Worlds Juniors. Not another competition. Uh, I apologize to those of you who are recording it for later. You'll have to record something else. Yeah, way to go, Dingledorf. Yeah. We only do spoilers for Canada games. Right. I feel like I'm not even really spoiling anything. Yeah. It's just news that's out there, right? I can do the Epstein list if you haven't seen that yet. There could be Sweden fans out uh, there. Spoiler. <laughs> spoiler alert. Jeez. Oh, boy. I can't even see the two shows in a row. It's come up. That's two shows. What? It's I. You you could. Here's the thing. We can't be afraid to say the words. Not afraid. Yeah, there's fear. You're opening up the inbox. That's fear. (laughs) That is fear. We have to try. The the inbox has been quite calm. Yeah. Lately, I think. I think with the Canucks doing well. It's chilled people out a little bit. Someone well, also, but been, wait till also, the U.S. elections in November. <laughs> also, oh. we ban the psychos with impunity. That's part. That's of it. true. Yeah, we put them in the psycho box. Um, but yeah, like Joe and Smithers texted in about something, and then I replied, and he's like, "Oh, I was just joking. Like, love the show, that kind of thing." So even like the people that I think are on edge are just doing it in a loving kind of fun. I think way. a lot of the time it's. You, it, it doesn't translate to text like the the joking nature necessarily or the sarcasm yeah. gets lost on you via text. So, so sometimes I think we'll think somebody's texting in a negative thing when really they're just trying to have some fun and be a part of the oh, show. It, I think it goes back partly to what we were talking about earlier with JR. Like 
tone and context and all that stuff matter. For sure. Like on the subject of the Epstein list, the reason I'm making the joke is because of Aaron Rod- what Aaron Rodgers said, right? And we all saw Pat McAfee's explanation yesterday. Yeah. It essentially was... He took off the tank top, put on an actual <laughs> shirt. That's how serious it was. Shirt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you that can't was... wear a tank top for this. Most Pat, underrated... you got to dress respectful. Most underrated moment is like the seamstress sewing sleeves onto his tank top <laughs> for serious Pat McAfee moments. He said, in essence... This is a show that is lighthearted and fun, and we like to try and like make jokes at everything. Mm-hmm. A- Aaron Rodgers tried it, and he was also talking SHI at... Yeah, yeah. T- just say trash. I-, I can say what I want to say. Smack. I swear. He's talking yeah. smack. No, but he's close to more of that. Anyway, he just said like he, just, he was trying to make jokes, and maybe mm-hmm. either he's not that good at it, or he doesn't have that much experience in it, or maybe he doesn't understand tone and context and right. what is funny, and then... The line, but but everyone's line is different, right? Exactly, and that was kind of how it got chalked up yesterday. So I go back to what you were talking about and what Jr. was talking about. Context does matter, nuance matters. Anyway, on that note, yes, we're going to do a good what segue. We yeah, we're going to do a what we learned. And Jason alluded to this earlier. There was a, a very spirited debate on the intermission panel on Sportsnet yesterday, um, which went fairly viral on social media. I saw it in a lot of different places. And it's going to be A-Dog's What We Learned. So without further ado, A-Dog, I'll cede the microphone to you. You tell all of, all of us what you learned and what we're about to listen to. Well, what I learned is uh, spirited and fiery debates on Sportsnet panels are a lot of fun. And I, I really enjoyed the back and forth between uh, Jennifer Botterill and uh, uh, Jamal Mayers. It was, it was really good. So what was it about? Crossing the line and the code and whether it's accepted and okay in today's NHL, and obviously two very different players with two very different perspectives. And, uh, yeah, it was just it was interesting to hear the back and forth. So without further ado. I think he sent the right message. The fact that everybody knows that he said he was going to do it or not, I, I, I'm sorry. I know the game has changed, and I know, but there's still an element of fear. There's still an element of uh, being aggressive and sending a message. These two teams could also meet in the playoffs. To me, sending a message is important. And when whether you think it wasn't that egregious, that second cross-check to get him right in the right spot to Kaprizov from Dylan to me, was just as vicious. Now, if no one knew, you know how many times centers make it accidentally on purpose? Leave a little extra knob on a face-off, kind of miss the puck, hit the guy in the cheek. The fact that we know that he meant to do it, that's the only part that I think that we're reason why we're talking about it. I, I, I mean, just, you guys are talking about both of the terms you guys use: revenge and sending a message. I just, I don't know. You watch the play, you see Perfetti, a young, great player in your league. You think that's that's what you want to present or succumb your young, talented players to? That it's okay if I'm this far from Carolyn to two hander as hard as I can in a one foot radius? I don't know. I, I don't think that's what's what's selling your game for your biggest stars, your skilled players. You're saying, okay, if you're a young player coming up, be ready because this could happen to you at any point. Yeah, just, it could. And at the end of the day... And you're okay with that. If it's your son out there playing and he, t- he takes that two-hand to the face, you know, you know what, it was a good message to send. But he took you the feel cross-check. The if it's your son who took then the cross-check then to the he's side. Gonna ha- he's going to understand that you have to then go do something and, and make amends. Either <sighs> handle it so- yourself... <gasps> This isn't oh. archaic. This, yes, it is. So, yes, it is no, archaic. No, it's not. So the uh, incident in question, by the way, I think everyone put it together, but if you didn't, uh, this is something Jeff Merrick came on our show yesterday and was talking about, is that, here, I'll run through it real quick. <laughs> Brendan Dillon of the Jets injured Kirill Kaprizov of the Wild. In order to get revenge for that injury, Ryan Hartman of the Wild 
high-sticked Cole Perfetti of the Jets in the face on a face-off. And said he was going to do it, right? And just was like, I'm going to high-stick you in the face. Caught on a hot mic. Going to make you bleed your own blood. And he did. He caught him open for a couple stitches. It'd be cool if he made him bleed someone else's blood. That would be be quite a trick. Yeah. You (laughs) made me bleed my own blood. So, all of this comes down to retribution, the code, the unspoken rules of the league, all that stuff. And then that was Jamal Mayers and Jennifer Botterill going back and forth yesterday mm-hmm. on the Sportsnet panel about that particular instance. Now, um, you know, it got to the point where it was like, is this an archaic way of settling your business? And on a, one level, I can understand because if I'm not if I'm Cole Perfetti, just looking at it. Cole Perfetti ain't doing anything wrong. It's <laughs> yeah. very dumb in a lot of ways that Cole Perfetti is getting high-sticked in the face for something that he had nothing to do with. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I've played enough sports that I know that is oftentimes exactly what happens. The question that they were trying to debate is whether it's right or wrong, yeah. and that is impossible. You're never going to come to a conclusion on that. You're going to have opinions, mm-hmm. and you're going to have people's thoughts and takes, which is what happened there, and that's all you're ever going to end up with. Where the discourse gets muddled a lot of times is that when people hear something they don't like, their instant reaction now is either get offended, reach out and try and silence the other person as opposed to hearing it. Like You should be able to hear things you don't like and be able to take it in and be like, okay, I don't like what that person said. However, this shouldn't result in either a personal attack or a condemnation of the person. Like Attack their ideas and debate their ideas and that's fine. But there's a very, very slippery slope now, especially online, where we've talked about it a thousand times a show. Tone and context and quotes and things don't really matter. People just want to attack and attack yeah. and attack. Well, you and I have talked about um, how the NHL isn't what it used to be, and there's good and bad. The good is the game has never been more skilled. Mm-hmm. The, the type of plays that players are pulling off, I mean, it's incredible. Um, if you watch a guy like Quinn Hughes skate or Connor McDavid, what he does, the, tr- the talent level has never been better. But at the same time, sometimes I think that the rivalry nature of the NHL isn't what it used to be. And we've lost some of the emotion. We've lost some of the, let's just say it, the violence of, the league and violence is it's weird because you're like violence is bad right yeah Mm -hmm. like violence is bad it also creates some of the best storylines in sports history Mm -hmm. and what happens so you're you're kind of like are you cheering for violence then i'm kind of like ah maybe a little bit but but look what happened between the jets and the wild um from our perspective is awesome because it created a ton of intrigue, content, material, right? I'm going to be dead honest. If that incident doesn't happen, Jamal Mayers and Jennifer Botterill have nothing to debate last night. They don't. Yeah. So the fact that it happened, you can like it or not. Mm-hmm. But from our perspective as the consumers and the media, the people that follow it, it's great. But again, I go back to it. It's stupid for Cole Perfetti. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. If Brandon Dillon takes out Kirill Kaprizov 
you go take care of Brendan Dillon. Like that's you the, know what? that if makes I, sense. If I'm Cole Perfetti, I take that as a compliment that I'm worthy sure. of seeking retribution on. But I don't know if he was. Wow, Hartley you might... wanted to seek retribution on me? Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. This is right, awesome. Right, uh, can you pick up my teeth? They're yeah. right over there. <laughs> but then my right... first retribution experience. I've never had this before. <laughs> They give him his first puck. It's like, (laughs) what happened? I got high-sticked in the face by Ryan Hartman. Well, for me, I think this whole situation comes down to the details matter. And I think the NHL has always been a league. You go back into the 80s and 90s. If you use your stick as a weapon on somebody's face, they've always been very heavy-handed with those kind of suspensions. You cannot use your stick. On somebody's head. Well, the, you, the great, and I you think know, that's what it comes down to for me. Well, if the details matter, then the reason he's not getting suspended is because he was mic'd up. That's the only reason he's not getting suspended. Because I'm sure the NHL is looking at this and being like, <sighs> really wish we could have suspended this guy. This sure sucks. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's out there now that not only like, he did it, he told the kid he was going to do it. When the PA has a rule, basically, that any of this mic'd up stuff is not admissible in the court. The, the PA and the league are like, well, well. If every every like, player now like, mic yeah. me up, bud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's mic us all up. Mic us he's, all up. He's talking, we found the loophole. He's talking directly in his microphone. He's like, I'm going to murder you. Did you have a warrant for this? Yeah, exactly. It's a, I mean, it's a hilarious loophole, but it is a loophole. Anyway, Moo Cow. Uh, I feel bad for the humanoids because they're getting short. Well, we can skip mine. You want to skip go, yours? Go right into it, yeah. Okay, what a selfless dog. Yeah. I what a, what a take gr- one for the team. Yeah, that's why you love dogs. They're all about their owners. And in this instance, that's the humanoids. Anyway, let's go to those print them out. What we learned, humanoid edition, brought to you by Get Fire Plan. Protect what matters most with comprehensive fire safety plans, monthly audits, and risk mitigation at $200 off. Visit them at getfireplan.com. Oh, my God! We're having a fire plan! It's just the anniversary of the Patrick Stefan empty netter. I was going to play the clip. Oh, okay. It's the anniversary. Well, we got anyway. it out there anyway. Yeah, it's out okay. there. Um, we, how many how many years is it? Uh, it happened in 2007. Oh, okay. 16, 17 years 17th ago. 17th anniversary yeah. today. Well, if we're still doing this show in three years, we'll let you do one for the 20th anniversary. Um, um, two different texts have come in already about Lecker and Mackey, not his exploits at the World Juniors, but who he's going to replace <laughs> on the active roster. First one said Besser, but two people have now texted in. Uh, he'll be the Kuzmenko replacement. Yeah, Mano and Chilliback. What we learned, Lekaramaki will be a nice, much cheaper replacement for Kuzmenko next year. Um, and I made this point yesterday, not because I want Brock Besser off the team, but he is a pending UFA in 2025. So the Canucks have him for this year and next, and then he's UFA. And so is Kuzmenko. Kuzmenko is in that exact same situation and listen if the Canucks are going to give a big raise to Petey and they're going to give a big raise to Philip Hronick and they're going to you know try and improve the team (laughs) oh get better you know sometimes you have to make these hard decisions and that's why it's always important to have this pipeline of prospects coming up and it's also I guess it should be noted why you have to be pretty careful if you're going to trade first round draft picks there's going to be a lot of people out there that'll wonder at the trade deadline if the Canucks are still in the position they are. So their first round draft pick is maybe like, I don't know, in the 20s or something like that. Okay. If they'll put that into um if they'll put that into action, put it on the table and try and get a significant rental because I think we look at the top 6 right now. Uh, and we go, it's at least one winger short, maybe two wingers short. 
That is if you don't want to break up the third line and I give mean, like Dakota Joshua a chance on the second line or Connor Garland a chance up on Pedersen's line, you know? And so, I don't think you want to because I think right now the strength of the Canucks up front is the depth of their forward group. And I have not said that maybe ever. Well, here's the thing. You never know how quickly a guy is going to just prove that he's ready to be in the National Hockey League. Like a lot of these draft picks, the argument is going to be, well, trade the pick. We want to win now. We don't need to worry about two or three or four years down the road. But, I mean, you know, look at the look at the 2022 NHL draft, which is the one Lekaramaki was taken in. Like there's guys that are playing regularly in the NHL now. Now, some of them were right at the top of that list, Slavkovsky and Nemich and Cooley and everybody else. But there's other guys yeah. further down that are they're ready to go. Now, some of them are ready to go for bad teams. Mm-hmm. It might be different trying to break into a team that's got playoff aspirations. But you like, you got to understand how vital it is to have ELC contributors when you're so pressed up against the cap, right? And if you want to go into other sports, like sometimes later round picks, if they – mature quickly or just things break right it just it clicks like i don't know if you've been but we there. also can't we also can't and the canucks can't rush a player like lecker amaki think of how much he's probably gonna have to learn like anything will weigh off the board here um i don't know how much you've been paying attention to the nba this season and this year's rookie class because it was supposed to be about wemby and everybody right. else right yeah so the heat took uh the guy from ucla jaime Hawkins, remember him mm-hmm. um they took him way late they took him 18th overall He's been unbelievable. Like yeah. he's probably more deserving of rookie of the year than anybody. Right. They said if they redid the draft now, he would be the third guy or second guy taken. Like he's been great. That is, and he's a little bit older. He's twenty two, but it's like he got into the right system around the right team, and he found a fit, and it just clicked, and it worked. And they're like, okay, let's let him cook. Let's see what he can do. So you have to hold the opportunity for some young guys to break in. Because they will defy their age sometimes. They'll be like, this guy is more advanced. He's more yeah. ready to go, right? Now, I don't I'm not... know if you have to hold a spot for them, though. You have to okay. force them to make a make a spot. Maybe not. You have to hold an opportunity. Like He can't sure. be blocked, is what I'm saying, right? But then there's the balance, right? Like, when you think about what the Canucks did with players like Vertanen and McCann, they rushed those guys. Yeah, but that's... That was that was also... They came into a bad think situation. This, I don't think this current management group is going to do that. I think that it, regardless of what the management group's going to do or not, I think it would be awesome. It just if Lecker Maggie can parlay what he did at this tournament and then finish strong and then come to Abbotsford mm-hmm. and play American Hockey League games and then see what he does with that. Yeah, right. I mean, that'd be a great step. And then who knows what happens after that? Uh, Colin and Tawasson, when we learned Rory McIlroy has eased off of his criticism of Live Golf, stating that it's "quote unquote" part of the sport now, and even describes John Rahm's move to Live as a smart business move. Yeah, Rory McIlroy had um, this probably was tough for him to admit. He said, uh, "I think at this point, I was maybe a little judgmental of the guys who went to Live Golf at the start." And I think it was a bit of a mistake on my part because I now realize that not everyone is in my position or in Tiger Woods' position, and that means like financially secure. Um, you know, this set, set. this whole thing. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but this sucks, right? This is capitulation by the biggest vocal like and most outspoken guys against. I don't know if thing. it sucks because I think what it does and there's also quotes now from phil mickelson saying hey don't pile on rory i'm sure it was hard for him to say this so let's all come together because frankly i'm so sick of this story i'm so sick of the division 
I want um, I just want all the best players playing in the same tournaments. But does it not? That's all I want. Okay, that's fine. But do, it, looking back and in retrospect, does it not make all of these arguments and vehement stances from all these guys completely empty? Yeah, at the because at the end of the day, it was just about money to begin it was about with. Money. It was all, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there was never any pride or care for the PGA Tour and its legacy and yeah. how they were doing it for Jack and Arnie. Throwing around the word sport washing all the time. I mean, you, you know, know, it's like the sanctity of and the you know how great the tour was and the history and the yeah. prestige. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Money mattered in the end. It's ve- it's a very empty, very hollow thing. I mean, well, I still don't like where the money's coming from. But I it's don't. a but you know, you thought at a certain point that these guys were actual sportsmen at some level. Yeah, and it's all. I mean, it doesn't matter. Well, I think Rory's still a sportsman. I think he's just trying to. You know what? what I think Rory is tired of. I think Rory is really tired of being the center of attention. Oh, and because he, Rory Rory hasn't won a major in a decade. But it's also like he put himself out there and was pretty outspoken and pretty yeah. vehement. And then he watched all the guys that were like one point arguing well, with him just leave. Yeah, but you know what he saw the most? Now he's the only guy doing it. You know what he saw the most? The PGA Tour, which supposedly had his back. They were the ones that capitulated. And that's another part of it, too. The players, you can say, whatever. But when Jay Monahan struck that deal with the Saudis, Rory was probably like, what the hell have I been doing here? Uh, Unsigned text into the Dunbar Lumber text line. So, Rory to live next week? (laughs) Ha ha. Can you imagine? He's like, I'll take the money now. (laughs) He comes out with a dyed black goatee like Hulk Hogan. (laughs) When Hulk Hogan turned bad, all he had to do was dye the goatee black. That's this it. dyed goatee indicates that I have turned heel. <laughs> I want to. We didn't read many uh, listener what Sorry, we read, so I apologize for that. Uh, but I want to read this uh, last one. Main Street Mo. What we learned next time I'm in trouble, I'm just going to blame it on Nick Cousins. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Cousins, you are the new Tibor. Ah, uh, Tibor. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get out of here for today, but we will be back tomorrow. Signing off, I have been Mike Alford. He's been Jason Bruff. He's been A Dog, and he's been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.